their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. Hey everyone, welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. Hey Rick, it's good to see you back again and um, getting excited. I know you've got uh, some things going on with some good photography coming up, so we'll be looking forward to hearing about that in a few weeks. Yeah, uh, heading to Portugal. Um, I One thing I will say is if it's not already obvious, I've got a little bit of an issue with laryngitis just due to allergies. I've had it several days and it goes on and off. So no one should assume I'm about to die or that I have we won't COVID or yet. anything like that. It's all good. It's just annoying. Right. And it may, it may fade out as we're recording. So if you don't hear a lot from me in the latter half of the podcast or even sooner, you'll know why. <laughs> You're just expressing your softer, quieter side today. It's all good. I guess so. Yeah. Well, today we have a special treat because we are going to be joined by our good friend, Eric Bowles, who's been on the podcast in the past. And Eric is the uh, director of the Nikonians Academy over at Nikonians.org. And he's also their webinar host. Um, and uh, we've shot together numerous, numerous times. And uh, one of the reasons why we want, we've wanted to have Eric on the show for a while, but um, a few weeks ago, we were, uh, we mentioned, uh, or I don't know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, probably now, we mentioned when Nikon announced the 800 millimeter PF uh, 6.3 lens for the Z system. And, you know, we commented on the, on the specs. Well, Eric um, has this lens and he's been using it and he shot um with it quite a bit in fact with you recently out in south dakota right yeah yeah eric and i and another friend of ours larry anderson um spent some time up in south dakota based in the keystone area near mount rushmore but we got around went you know spent several days over in the badlands went up to devil's tower and then all the good things that are right around that rushmore area you know, mm -hmm. including Custer State Park. So we had a blast. But That's great. I can I can vouch for the fact that Eric was getting a lot of good use out of that, that 800 millimeter. Well, that's awesome. So let's welcome Eric onto the show. Hey, Eric. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. Oh, it's good. To, it's always good to have you on the show. So yeah. um, how long have you had this new lens? Tell me about this. I got it um, on, a, what was it, May the 10th. Okay, and, so like uh, not long ago at all. Yeah, I, I had it for six days before we went on the trip. Okay. And, um, the one of the first things I did was try to figure out, okay, will this even fit in my, my bag? Um, right. And, and luckily it did. Uh, but uh, absolutely love the lens and uh, and look look forward to sharing some about it. Well, yeah, it's, it's great. I know when the lens was announced, um, you know, eight, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this um, and your rationale for 800 millimeters, because that's not a typical focal length that most people uh, go to. Um, and there is a Nikon uh, F-mount uh, lens, right? I mean, there's the the, the, the uh, AFS um, 800-5.6, um, and th that lens is probably very good. It's not a lens that I will ever really touch unless I rent one. And, and when Rick and I were looking at the specs, you know, two things really, really stuck out to us. You know, one was the weight difference. 
So this 800 millimeter PF lens is um, about five pounds, right? So or compared to other kilograms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so so if you compare that to other lenses in the Nikon lineup, at least that's about the same weight as the 200 to 500. That's right. And 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 the what I found is not only is the weight in that 200 500 range, but I felt the balance is a little better. Um, I would balance it's balanced back toward the camera a little more mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't zoom. So it doesn't stick out and, and get really off balance the way the 200, 500 did. So it's, it's just very, very usable when you're shooting it. That's yeah. I mean, that, that is killer. So and we compare that with the 800, five, six, which weighs over 10 pounds. Um, or uh, if uh, you know, we're talking for almost, you know, 4.6 kilograms, you know, that's, that's huge. So, so there's, we're going to talk about some, some ramifications of that. And then the other line item that really jumps out, you know, forget all the other specs is that price tag, right? Yeah. The, uh, the price tag on it was $6,500, which I mean, for a wow. lens in that range is just terrific. It's that's stunning. Just, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, this is not inexpensive, but it's not stupid. You know, I mean, if you think about what you're getting, um, the value problems, because let's compare that with the 800, 5, 6, 16,300 US dollars. That's that's priced in a place where no one's going to go. I mean, you can buy a car for that, right? You know, you could probably pretty good used car for that. Yes. So so let's let's talk about your experience with this. First of all, what I want to ask, and we'll get to the handling in, in, in a minute, but I'm curious, you know, 800, that's a unique focal length. We've shot 500s, 600s, um, you know, in the past, you know, the the big stuff, you know, 800 comes out. That's kind of a, a monster. Um, maybe not this one in terms of its size, but that's a big focal length. So what kind of subjects did you have in mind? You know, what was, because, you know, most people aren't going to go and spend six or $7,000 on a lens, period. So you got to have pretty good rationale to justify it. Yeah, I, I mean, well, the lenses that I've got right now, I've got got the 600 f4, and I've got the 500 pf, mm -hmm. and so I had a sense as to what the 500 pf does. Um, I, I'd also, which is another very wonderful lens, exactly. Yeah, and and so this 800 has, I guess, has been on my wish list since it first was put on the Nikon roadmap for the Z system. Mm -hmm. um, because it does several things. One is it's extremely portable. Two, it gives more reach. Mm -hmm. Three is um, it's a focal length I'll use for the things that are in my part of the country. In the southeastern U.S., uh, I'm in Atlanta, so I've got small birds um, in, in my area and not a lot of wading birds or large wildlife. Uh, Smokies is not far away, and I don't need this lens for the Smokies, but I don't need any long lens for the Smokies. But I do spend a lot of time on the Georgia coast at Jekyll Island, Georgia, mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful place for shorebirds as well as other birds. Um, and uh, I have used uh, extensively the 500 PF as well as the 500 PF with the 1.4 teleconverters. So that's a 700 millimeter equivalent mm -hmm. almost. Um, so for shorebirds, it actually works quite well. You've got big open spaces, long, long periods where they fly toward you. Uh, or you can catch them resting on the beach. And, and uh, so you can make that focal length really work and it's useful. That's cool. Cause you know, I think a lot of people just think, well, 800 that's for either things that are super far away or you want to photograph, 
you know, teeny little things like warblers, you know, little tiny birds, because you really need all the focal length you can get. And as you mentioned, using a lens like the 500 PF with a teleconverter, um, it's, it's good. Um, but it's nice to not have to put that teleconverter on. It's, it's nice to, you know, have native, um, you know, plus it's a little, it'll be a little bit faster because you're talking, this is an F six, three, your, your 500 TC combo is an F eight. So light matters. I mean, it's still, it, it, it does for those things, but I think what was interesting and, and, um, you know, we'll get into this. You were in the South Dakota and you did a lot of wildlife photography. And surprisingly enough, you did a lot of photography of even larger mammals. And so the the 800, tell me about that. You know, what, what is it doing differently for you when you're out there as a wildlife photographer, nature photographer? Because we've all shot those kinds of things, you know, the pronghorn, the bison, the bighorn sheep, the prairie dogs, right? But what what was it like with the eight hundred? What was what what did you feel? Yeah, it's. I mean, there are really two big things that I got out of it. One was with larger wildlife, for example, pronghorn, bighorn sheep. As I was able to very cautiously and slowly approach them to the point where they got comfortable with me before I got anywhere near them, and seeing me start to photograph from a, a farther distance than normal, let them relax, and so. I mean, for example, I had uh, I had several cases where I had wildlife sitting there while we while we photographed, or even start to approach me because it had a chance to get comfortable and saw that I wasn't approaching it and threatening it. Um, the other big thing with and this was particularly with bison, um, but also with birds as well as uh, the the bighorn sheep was controlling the field of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, with bison, when you're trying to pick an individual bison calf out of, out of a herd, um, 500 millimeters just gives you too wide a field of view. And so this really starts to be able to, to isolate individual animals or individual parts of animals in the frame as opposed to the whole thing. Yeah. And you sent us some photos, which we're going to share on our Facebook page. And the subject isolation is really lovely with this lens. Yeah. You know, one thing. Um, that I'll just add too is, and and I I think Eric will um, expand on this a little bit. You know what I saw is that the the size and weight of this lens was so radically better than alternatives that things that you would never think about doing before suddenly became possible, like you going cross country, off of, you know across large fields with that lens, just handheld, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's, that's an ease of shooting. Um, some of these subjects that you just cannot get with one of the traditional lenses where you're forced to at least have a monopod or a tripod. Plus you're lugging a 10 pound lens and you just can't be agile. Well, you, know, you just can't be. And, and let's also figure, I'm assuming you got on a plane to go out to rapid city and, and, you know, to yeah. be able to pack the lens and not have to pack a, a gigantic tripod. We've all used the bigger, you know, even the carbon fiber as you get up there in the, I mean, those are heavy tripods. Those, those were some important decisions that I made. And so, it, yes, it, it was small enough where it fit, fit my normal camera bag. And not only that, but I had enough room in the bag still that I added the 500 PF as an afterthought just because I had space for it. Um, <laughs> And, and and so that that was really nice to have that to fill in the gaps. Um, I, I 
did take a tripod um, ball head. I, I took the sidekick instead of a full gimbal mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the lens could handle it. I actually never used the sidekick um, mm-hmm. that I uh, just simply used the really right stuff ball head uh, and tripod legs. And that was, was fine for it. Had no issues. And almost all my wildlife photography was handheld. That's, that's incredible. Now, I mean, this isn't a lightweight lens, but five pounds is hand holdable for a lot of people, at least in short spurts. Mm. Um, would you, would you say you would have liked to have a monopod on occasion just to be able to rest it? Actually, the one place I would have really liked the monopod was not for rest. It was because I have wind. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and uh, there was Rick, when we were shooting a, a, a resting pronghorn, uh, we were able to get plenty close enough but we had wind coming probably at 20 miles an hour coming at 90 degrees. And, and so the lens is big enough or particularly the, and light enough. So that, that front of the hood, yeah. I was having a hard time getting the animal in the frame, much less the, the keeping it, keeping it really still and the, and everything on it. So, um, so that yeah. there, there a monopod would have helped. It's a little yeah, known issue that using, those big lenses can turn into sales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was I was using something, you know, a longer zoom that was comparable in size, and boy, it was it was really something with that wind because you would take a shot, and then you know if you had image stabilization turned on, it would just suddenly jump because of all the wind going on. Yeah, and and how much the lens was buffeted around, it was. We we did it, but it was it was a little bit challenging. I was at, I was consciously taking four and five shot bursts as opposed to just single shots because I knew there was enough motion that I I need to address to get the subject in the frame. Yeah. Um, so did you do any other shooting with this lens um, for subjects other than wildlife? Did you do any landscape with it or anything like that? Cause you can get some pretty wild compression and subject isolation. Yeah. It's um, a couple of things. I mean, even on the wildlife, a lot, one of the things you're trying to do is control your backgrounds. And so I was able to take very small parts of the landscape and put them where I wanted. So for example, the white part of the, 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 the eroded badlands the blue, dark blue sky above it, or the green on the plateau, all of which are in a very narrow amount of the field of view, but I could move up or down an inch or two and, and position exactly what I wanted behind the subject. Um, I did um, use the 800 PF for um, a really distant uh, environmental shot with uh, bison very far away on a cliff and uh, the, the badlands behind it, uh, that, that turned out really well. And then also used it for the lunar eclipse. And, uh, oh, yeah. and so used it not only for the lunar eclipse as a standalone, but uh, very quickly decided to put the 1.4 teleconverter on it and was using the 800 PF with the 1.4 uh, Z teleconverter. Um, That's a good point. You can use the Z teleconverters with that with that lens and, and it worked wonderfully i was shooting it at f9 which is wide open on that combination so sweet well yeah i mean this is just um you know you can talk about the unique focal length but i think i think what this does and i think rick kind of br- brings this up is between the price point and the size and the the reduced you don't you're not reliant on a massive heavy accessory you know uh, you know uh 
you know, support system around it. Uh, that's really the game changer here, because all of a sudden you have a focal length that you might have never considered. Or you might have thought about, but you would have balked at the size, the weight and certainly the price tag in the past. And, and now you have this. Not only is it somewhat more affordable, I say somewhat, um, but but you can literally handhold it if you want to. Or or go mobile or go light, and you're not you're not forced to pack a whole bunch of other kit to just so that you can set it up. I mean, I know there'd be no way you'd be going out and taking photos of prairie dogs if you're schlepping this tripod around and have to get try to approach a bison. I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah, you're you're exactly right on that. I mean, I remember when I got the uh, 200 500 originally. One of my use cases was photographing from a canoe, where I needed something that was light that I could handhold. Well, I've sold the 200, 500 now mm-hmm. that between the 500 PF and the 800, I can, I, I have my canoe lens um, and, and that works fine. Um, and I, I had no problem with the 800 um, for two hours straight hand holding it. it. We're not talking about 10 or 15 minutes. This is, it's just with me and it's going. So. Uh, it was um, very noticeable. I think we may touched on this, but when the lens was announced at its release, all of the marketing photos that Nikon published were of a, a fairly slender woman hand holding this lens. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it wasn't for looks. There was a you know, it, it's. I, I have a lot of female clients, or even the two hundred to five hundred is a bit beefy for them. And you know, this this isn't lightweight, but it's not ridiculous. And so if you need that little extra support, just throw it on a monopod, I would think, and you'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that works well. And then, and then in terms of carrying it, um, that I just attached it to a black rapid strap with a, a clamp. Um, nice. And so it, it, it's very secure, was very easy to carry, even if I was going over rocks or around things or, or, or through branches, something like that. Very cool. Um, Rick, help me out here. Are we, have we left anything out um, regarding? Well, um, stuff to again, apologize for my voice. That's why I'm not talking too much, but I'll give it a go. Um, you know, I, one of the things that we've talked about in the past and remains true is even with the additional focal length, if you're talking tight shots of the animals, even bison and stuff, you really can't be too far away. You know, and, I, and that's something that a lot of people um don't have a feel for prior to doing a lot of wildlife photography is these big lenses don't enable you to to get a nice photo of a bison that's a mile away i mean we're still talking fairly short distances you know like when we were um, photographing the bison herds that were fairly close to the car we had to make sure we were on the right side of the car you know so that we didn't inadvertently get too close to a bull and Mm -hmm. have it um, threaten us. So even with an 800, you weren't that far away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I, most of what I was shooting tended to be certainly within a hundred yards. Right. Um, and it, what it gave me was, was not the ability to get a, a really distant subject and have a shot it was able to give me a a tighter composition a narrower field of view filling the frame a little bit more with a subject that's that's nearer and that's really i think the place for it and not having to crop your image exactly yeah um or even if you had to crop i might crop off half an image 
um, to almost a DX proportion or, or APS-C proportion, mm-hmm. but I'm not having to crop deep, deep crops. And, 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 and that works as well. Yeah. Um, a couple of things we hadn't talked, touched on. One was the uh, vibration reduction. Oh, yeah. Um, that that's I, right. I, I frequently use this lens at 1 320th of a second and dropped it down a couple of times to 1 100th handheld. Wow. And had no problem at all uh, that it was not distinguishable in that. Wow. At 1 320th, it was easy. It was not a problem. Now I was using, I was photographing subjects that were not moving much. Right. Um, but still, that worked. Um, how, how about um, potential cons with it? Um, one of which, you know, because although I held yours and played with it and all the things that you mentioned about it, I resonated with, including the balance. But how about giving up on, on the ability to zoom out for a little bit looser framing or just finding the subject in the viewfinder with that long a focal length? There's definitely a... Uh, on the subject, finding it in the viewfinder, that's that's one that's definitely worth considering. Um, it was very hard, and I need a lot more practice to pick up small birds in flight or even a, a hawk or something like that just mm-hmm. unexpectedly flying across the scene. Um, with shorebirds or something like that, it's a lot easier because you're picking a specific angle of the sun and an angle of the wind that's driving your position. So you've got a, a narrow shooting window. It takes practice. And you get a lot better with practice, but it's it becomes a little easier. The subject moving directly across from left to right or right to left, that one can be against this, that one can be very hard, and especially against a cluttered background. Um, a couple of other things, and these are more the physical design of the, the, the lens and, and the what, what you've got. The hood has a new latch, and it takes a little getting used to how to stop consciously hold this latch rather than just twisting the hood to, to remove the hood. Mm. Um, I liked it, but it takes a little practice and you, and you have, it took two hands. It was not a one hand release. Mm. Um, yeah. That said, once you put it on, you're not worried about it falling off. And I've had um, lens hoods for my 600 and other lenses that fell off before. And, and this one's not going to fall off on you, yeah. which is nice. How about let's do a hypothetical, and this is related to the Zoom question I asked. There's a rumored um, 200 to 600 in Nikon's uh, lens roadmap. If that existed, what would your thoughts be you know, regarding this lens, especially advice that you were given, giving to someone who was an avid wildlife photographer? I think for most people, the first lens they would get is the 200, 600 rather than the 800. The 800 is mm-hmm. a lot of focal length. Yeah. Um, I, I did find a couple of times that the focal length I had caused me to have to back up rather than move closer to the subject to get the shot I wanted. Um, particularly with uh, bighorn sheep, there was a young bighorn sheep, I don't know, yearling, I guess. And uh, I was very, really struggling to get it in the frame, had great shots out of it, but could barely get it in the frame. And probably half my discards were because of clipping something because it just, mm-hmm. it filled 90% of the frame. Um, same with the bison, um, could not get the uh, adult with the calf because I could only fit one of them in the frame. Yeah. And, but uh, I, I think that for somebody who photographs small birds, um, that you compare this lens with, for example, the 100 to 600, 100 to 400, 
um, and then have the have the 800 uh, PF for your long lens, and that would probably cover you. Um, the the question is really more in my mind: What do you need in that middle ground, and do you have something to fill that middle ground? Um, I I've got a 70 to 200, which I can use with a teleconverter. A 300 f4 I can use with a teleconverter. I've got a 500 PF, mm. um, and so I've got some options in that middle ground. But would have to think about what I take for certain trips. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to, and what you've just basically said in so many words is the 800 is a specialty lens for specific types of shooting. And if that's what you do, then this is a great choice. And and I'll throw in one other little benefit of the longer uh, focal length. It's not that you necessarily want to be taking photos of things, you know, a mile away, because obviously you're not. One of the drawbacks of any lens of a focal length like this is it's going to be very uh, prone to seeing atmospheric distortion, you know, thermal stuff, and that's going to throw off your focus or it's going to make your shots look like they're not sharp. So you need to be kind of close anyway. But here's what I think would be the difference. If, you, if you're approaching small, smaller animals, it's not about having them fill the frame entirely, but it's about when you, all animals uh, tend to have a, a uh, comfort zone, you know, some distance, some magical, you know, imagine a little radius around them that if you step into that, they notice you and they start to get sketchy and they either will bail out or they'll stop doing a behavior. Being able to be slightly outside of that zone, you, you could, you can be, you can be well, you know, outside of their, their uh, territorial or, you know, their, their, uh, you know, that, that area where they get uh, a little bit sketchy. And all of a sudden you're able to capture more natural behaviors because you're not just getting, I'm looking at you, I'm alarmed. And I think that's a huge benefit of having this extra reach. It's not because you're trying to, you know, take a picture of an eyeball at a hundred yards. Yeah. I, I, I tried that shot by the way. Uh, <laughs> of course. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> But but you're right. Yeah, I mean, one of the shots I got of these of a, a group of prairie dog pups. I mean, what was noteworthy is not that I was able to get close and get the shot, but what what, what was noteworthy to me was they weren't even looking at me. Mm-hmm. And the same with a I photographed a western meadowlark and was able to not only approach it but approach it to the point where I wanted to stop and photograph that animal for at least or that bird for at least ten to fifteen minutes without it flying away. Right. And if you had only a 500, you probably would have scared it off. I would have been trying to push just a little closer mm-hmm. and it probably would have noticed me. So just my observation with the shooting that we were doing, because I was using something that could get up to 600 millimeters. And I really felt like there was a difference um, with that zone that, that Jason was just talking about where I really could not get quite close enough to get a nice frame filling shot yeah. because of their comfort zone but you could yeah you could I, you could i it, i could see it making a difference there, yeah you know there's one other side of this though and and going especially getting back and looking at some of my shots i i found that i didn't take enough environmental shots where i had the context of the subject mm-hmm and because I was enjoying shooting this lens so much, I kept it on the camera the whole time <laughs> and I probably should have put it down and picked up the 70 to 200 or something like that and, and tried to get some other stuff as well. Um, yeah. 
but so, I mean, that's just a, a, again a lesson learned. But it's it's probably a good thing for someone to think about that doesn't have a long lens and is thinking about the idea of well, could they get this or could they get that future two hundred to six hundred? The latter might make it a little bit easier to quickly get those environmental portraits, but it's not going to have the same subject isolation or subject distance benefits. Yes. Yeah. There's always exactly. a trade-off. And um, one, one interesting thing, um, and you know, this is um, particular to the Badlands, uh, um, but a lot of places, um, you know, most people think, well, I mean, I, I approach the Badlands 99% as a landscape location. You know, the wildlife is opportunistic. You never know what you're going to get. I'm prepared for it, but I'm not going there with the objective of taking wildlife photos. But I always bring a long lens when I go to the Badlands because there are a lot of tight subjects and shots that you can get there from these overlooks that that you wouldn't want just a 70 to 200. Yeah. Um, I've had clients return with images, you know, they happen to have the, you know, either an 80 to 400 or a 200 to 400. And then all of a sudden they got some just killer shots from, from the badlands of landscapes. So there are, are applications, maybe not 800, but, <laughs> but there's really good opportunities for telephoto work, even if you're shooting landscapes as your primary uh, subject. Yeah. And, and one other thing, um, one of the things for particularly shorebirds, there's a, a point really early in the morning, just as the light's coming up, where um, long exposures work. So I have picked up a um, neutral density filter to use in the drop-in slot on this lens. Oh, cool. And I'll do, be doing some pan blurs and things like that um, with, with this lens, with, with a neutral density filter on it, really trying to slow things down. Neat. Yeah, I think that's a cool idea. Very cool. Hey, well, to, to wrap things up, um, yeah, Eric, are there things that you've got coming up that you would like to mention? Well, a couple things. Um, we've got continuing to have the uh, Nikonians webinar series, and we typically have monthly webinars. It's posted at Nikonians.org. Uh, and then in uh, November of this year, I've got a trip that I'm leading into the Okefenokee, a uh, very small group, um, but uh, contact me or visit my website for more information on that trip. Uh, we'll be spending four days and three nights uh, traveling, uh, staying in the Okefenokee and uh, traveling by canoe. So uh, it's a, it's a terrific place to photograph. Yeah. I bet that would be a lot of fun. Very cool. And then Jason, you've got a, since we've talked a little bit about Badlands, you've got a, a workshop scheduled there for September, right? Yeah. Mid September. That's the, the plan I have, I, this will be my 12th, uh, consecutive Badlands Safari. So I want to say it's September 14th through the 18th, um, out of, uh, wall, but you know, you fly into rapid city and I have uh, space for that. So it's a good opportunity. It's really the best way to do Badlands because we're there for enough days. We can hit the spots depending on what the light does that day. And we don't have crazy long drives uh, to get out there at sunrise. Um, and in September, sunrise is a little less painful than it is at this time of year. I know you guys had some really painful. early wake up, up yeah. calls plus because you had a drive. But for where we stay, when I when I go there, I stay at a place where we're only 20 to 30 minutes away from any of the overlooks that we might hit in the in the park. Um, and because I've been going there for 12 years, I, I know where the spots are now. So um, it, it works out just great. And um, 
it's it's fun you know it's it's the landscape trip it's it's a really cool place it never gets old like this is why i keep going back every year yeah so. it's it's enjoyable i could shoot there every year and not complain and one other quick shots. thing is you know eric and i mentioned our other friend larry anderson that we were shooting with and larry um hosted us at his relatively new condo in keystone and it is a place that he has available on airbnb and vrbo and it's gorgeous and in a really nice spot it's like three bedrooms two baths and and just wonderful so if anyone is going up to that area and it's a great base for mount rushmore or custer state park or you know you could even go and do crazy things like we did with a little bit of a drive but if anyone is interested just shoot um, jason and i a note via our facebook page and i'll be happy to provide you with the contact details but it, it's cool. a wonderful spot yeah it's five miles or less from uh, mount rushmore and, and just perfectly located for for those locations it was yeah. a great place for us to stay yeah that's awesome well thanks again for joining us eric we really appreciate your time today and um until next time we wish all our listeners happy shooting all right bye-bye